0: Good morning to each one of you. I see less coats than I did earlier. I guess that means we're warming up a little. I uh, I think these things are a good experience for us to sometimes just have a little bit of a bump. You know, it's really pretty minor when we consider how blessed we are, are we not? <clears throat> We have a lot of comforts, just a little bit of discomfort really doesn't hurt us. I imagine in the future we'll look back and we'll talk about these times. Uh, maybe this will go pretty long into the future, I don't know. However, it's good to see all of you here, thank you for coming, thank you for the worship so far, appreciate that, appreciate everyone that's here. It's really good to see Dave sitting back there, I'm glad you could come wasn't sure last evening if he'd come, but he's here, and that's good to have you here, brother. Also good to see Myron Weaver here, back from Florida. I don't see Rachel, but I see you're here, so welcome back. It's also good to see my wife here. She wasn't here last Sunday neither. Good to have her back. And uh, sorry, honey. I would like to say, though, that my wife and I really did enjoy our last weekend that we had away. What made it extra special was some of you uh, were part of making that possible for us. And uh, I just want you to know that we really enjoyed our time away. It was a real blessing. It was a real refreshment to us. It was an encouragement. And uh, so God bless you all for <clears throat> helping to make that possible. We really did enjoy it. We had a refreshing time up there in the mountain. Ended up going for a little walk on Saturday and um, went out to town. So we had phone service to make a few phone calls. Went for a walk on the backside of town there and walked past a little furniture store. Decided, well, we weren't sure what we were going to do about Sunday morning. Um, part of us felt like just being selfish and enjoying uh, the time we had there. But part of me knew it was Sunday morning. We'd like to worship the Lord somewhere weren't quite sure what we would do we walked through this back side of town and here was a little furniture store and we just decided to walk in just to see what this little hicktown furniture store was like and and uh, the man asked me who i was and i asked him who he was he says last name was diller i said oh i met a diller about a year ago at minister's week at family week uh, family week at uh, minister's week and uh, he said yeah that's my brother and then he went on to say that he pastors a little church there in the community, invited us to his church. And his church was less than a half mile down the road from where our little cottage was. So that was really good. We, uh, we enjoyed that little uh, different experience. <clears throat> so anyway, thank you again for making that happen. Alright, well, church life. Last two weeks ago, when I shared, I talked about don't just go to church, be the church. And I didn't quite get over my notes, and John asked me if I would soon finish that. So those thoughts were still going through my mind. I had some practical things that I was going to wrap up yet. So it was a little bit hard to get going again to know where to start when you have an idea where you want to end up at. But, you know, I had a lot of thoughts going through my mind about the church. And, you know, when we go into the Scriptures, into God's Word, and, you know, it really is all about the church, the called out God's people as we look into the scriptures. So I'd like to just continue along that vein of thought this morning, talking about the church, the body of Christ, the called out, Christ being the head, we are the body, what all that means. Just to reflect a little bit uh, what I had shared there, we talked about the importance of the church. Uh, we talked about the approaching day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord, and all that that entails, and at least part of what I wanted to impart to us back there and along the same vein a bit is the necessity of the drawing together of the local body of believers, I believe, in preparation for the day of the Lord, as I understood the scripture we looked at last week in Hebrews I believe it was chapter 10. I'm not 100% sure. We talked about being loyalty. We talked about, uh, in the church, about provoking one another to love and good works and so on. You know, as we think of, of humanity, you know, I had to think, you know, and, and all of us know it came a bit close home with the suddenness of the death of Peter Lapp. Um, all of a sudden, life changed majorly, um, for the Lapp family and also for, uh, uh, tim zice it's coming back here and and you know it came as a tremendous shock some of us knew peter better than others and all of a sudden he's ushered off into eternity and it lets the lap family reeling with a lot of questions why and experiencing the grief and all of that but you know all of humanity is subject to those kind of events and things that happens and it 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 hits us broadside and you know it's good for us to consider just how blessed we are to be part of a local body of believers that can work through those things together you know when we think of all that's the laps are dealing with and the, and the zeissets of course it affects them all that they're dealing with and i'm not sure what congregation they're currently with but you know that's when the church can rally around and care for one another when we're thrown into something like that we see the importance of local church life. I had to think of ecclesiastics. It says it's a time to laugh. It's a time to cry. You know when we think of church experience. There's joyous times. And then there's times we go through difficulties. And it all reminds us of our need. For the pulling together. Of the body of Christ. The church in the world. We all, whether we're in the church of the world. We all live with the results of living in a fallen world. And it's good for us to remind ourselves, and, and, you know, in all reality, that's what I was trying to do last Sunday. And I'd like to continue to encourage each of, each of us in that direction again this morning is to just I don't know if I want to call it boost our morale, but just to to put the value of the blessing of local church life up on a high plateau where it should be the value of local church life. And even to the extent that we're willing to go through the pains and the difficulties sometimes that church life deals when we think of local church life. Now, as I had shared before, and maybe I'll just refer to it a little bit here in the beginning and then not necessarily stick to that, and that is the confession of faith. Not that you necessarily even need to get it out. But, you know, the church is a... is a, God is, gave a prescribed remedy how the church should function. And, of course, as it says in our confession of faith, and as we believe, we practice and all those kind of things when it comes to church leadership. Uh, it refers to that there in our confession of faith. It's God's divine order. Uh, we have the elders. We have deacons. Uh, we It uh, shares there how we have evangelists. Uh, F, if you are following, you don't need to there. It talks about the developing of gifts in church life and how very important it is. And if I was to get on any of them in my vein of thinking this morning in the message, I'd like to somewhat reflect more on that as it's the overall church life. It's not just the leaders. It's not, you know, even though those things are all important. And also, of course, it refers, and not that I really feel we need to reflect on that. We are solid, I believe, when it comes to our position and our belief of the sisters' role in church. It's not the part they don't take part in church leadership and those kind of things. So I just wanted to refer just briefly down over our confession of faith, some of the things that we believe in practice. And we do appreciate not that I am going to refer a lot to the confession of faith necessarily here, but just here in the onset, I thought I would a little bit. However, as it refers and we think of church life and a little bit where all I want to go, there is one thought I wouldn't mind just just for whatever it's worth, I, I think of it often when I read over this scripture, and it just kind of—it is a very sobering, serious reality for church leaders. And I just thought maybe it'd be a blessing if we would just come in a little bit on it. And It talks about that in a confession of faith, and you can turn there. It's Hebrews 13 and verse 17, and it's a little bit of an awkward place for me to even refer to this verse, being part of a leadership team. However, I think it's good for us as a congregation sometimes just to think of the sobering reality of what it actually says in this verse. Now obviously uh, part of a leadership team, uh, Brother John is our elder here and we have one elder. it talks there in the in the confession of faith. It's most ideal to have several elders. However, that isn't our current experience here, but here it actually addresses the elder specifically, but I believe it's referring to church leaders and it's a bit of a sobering verse if, if you read over it and that's verse chapter 13 of seven. Chapter 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, submit yourselves and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable for you. There be numerous things that could be drawn out of that verse and talked about as it relates to leadership. But one of the things that is actually a very, very sobering reality. And now as we are thinking of church life, you know, I really believe in the last days that we live in. Local church life is really under attack. I believe the devil and his legions of angels, I believe, are making serious, serious attacks on the body of Christ. I really believe that in the last days that is happening. And I believe because of that, you know, I believe there is in some cases uh, the weakening of the local body. Those things all happen. However, what I really like to look at at this verse as we think of all those things, it talks here about those that watch for your souls that they must give an account. As they must give an account. Now, I believe as we think of the coming day of the Lord and we know what Scripture teaches us, that the day will come when every one of us will stand Before God and give an account. And I don't know. Different people might process this verse differently. But I think we all know and support and believe the idea. When I stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to give an account. And we're going to be judged. Out of God's word. What we did with our life. And that's a pretty awesome thing. But you know it's also a pretty awesome. And and I believe that when the day comes for you to stand before God. There won't be any church leader there defending you. I don't believe that's what this scripture teaches. But you know, it is a bit sobering when we think of church leaders. They will also stand there and give an account for how they led in church life. And I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say anything to defend our, myself as being part of a leadership team, but just for us all to considering the sobering reality of somehow guiding church life in the day and generation, the way that we live in. It is a sobering reality that leaders are going to also give an account, I believe, for how they led in church life and how we find our way through all the pressures that church life uh, deals us in the day and age that we live in is quite challenging. Anyway, for whatever it's worth, I did think I would just draw that out of there and and just refer to that verse. You know, it's a pretty sobering reality. And, you know, it's not primarily, you know, it, it does... A lot of responsibility, I believe, Scripture puts on leaders for what they do and how they lead. But, you know, largely where we will end up at as a congregation doesn't depend majorly, majorly on leaders. It's all of us together as to where we go in our local congregational life. So, as we consider these things, why all the emphasis on local church life? You know, I had to think, I believe, one of the most impressionable choices that we make in life in our lives is how maybe not how but where we worship the Lord. I really believe that God's in fact we heard about it this morning in the devotional I appreciate appreciated. You know, we're all very a very given to influence people. And as I spoke about two weeks ago when I shared about provoking one another to love and good works. We can provoke each other in different ways. But you know, I believe and I've observed it you know, we really church life is a place where it's very impressionable. And I also believe that the older we get, the more we get set in our ways, the more we life becomes a routine, and maybe we're not as given to influence. And you know, maybe I should also say this: I also believe that the most impressionable place for children is in our homes. I believe in our homes, those little children, the early years of their lives, are where they're the most the most, we call them the most impressionable years, maybe there's a better way of saying it, is in our homes. But I all believe, also believe, secondary, and I, I believe that's what makes our church what our church is. What happens in our home is, is very much gets reflected out in, in what our church will become in the years to come. I really believe that it is very much the importance of the home. However, I'm, I'm not going too far down that vein this morning because we're not necessarily talking about the home. But I believe secondary to that impressionable things that happen in our home, I believe is what happens in our local church life. And maybe where I was going with what I was saying doesn't so much affect we as older ones, as parents, as it, much as it does uh, when our children are going through their, their uh They're developing years and into uh, becoming adults through adolescence, into being adults and in youth, I believe are very, very impressionable years also that will determine where they end up in life. And why am I saying all that? I'm saying all that for us to get the importance of local church life and what our church is made up of, I believe, is very important. It's very important for us. You know... I don't know how to say this to, to, uh, you know, when, when it, when it comes, when it comes to church life. Okay, I said, I said earlier there in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. You know, I believe our local church experience is made up of a lot of experiences. And I'd like to narrow that down to two. And maybe by saying that, I'll just say it this way. I was debating whether I should use this example or not. As we think of what all church life entails, Okay. In 1996, somewhere in the year of 1996, there was a brand new, shiny, Econo-Line Ford uh, van that rolled off the assembly line. And that van, I believe, was a sparkling, shiny gem that ended up somewhere at a Ford dealership. And somewhere in the course of that year, somebody came along and purchased that van. And drove it off a lot and I'm guessing whether it was a family van or whoever owned that van, I'm guessing it was a very happy family lamp. Happy family or people that drove that vehicle off the lot and it was a shining gem down the road. I picture some happy faces in that vehicle. The first four years of that Vehicle, I don't know a whole lot about, but I happen to know about four years after that, when the purchaser of that van bought that van, it was also a pretty happy family. This was the most expensive vehicle I ever bought, and it, we were looking forward to many happy years in this van. And it was a joy to us. It was. It was. It uh, brought us a lot of uh, fun memories. Well. I also know that that same vehicle now, that how many years later is it? Fifteen years later. Fifteen years later, in fact, maybe about a year or two ago, I had it at Aaron Hess. He was working on it and doing something to it. I don't remember what it was. And he called me. He says, do you realize that this vehicle is getting to be in pretty bad shape? Maybe you ought to be considering doing something. And I have learned, my wife and I early in our, before we were married, actually, we went to Lester Miller seminar, which I think he was the founder of Life Ministries. Am I right? And we have really gained a lot and appreciated a lot, and we value a lot of what we learned at his uh, his uh, little seminar we had in the basement of his house. He lived down at Blue Ball, and he talked about the importance of you know making wise financial moves and, and things like that. And he talked about we're usually usually better off fixing the vehicle we have than buying a new one. Now, I realize. We we take all that into consideration. There is a time when a vehicle is shot. It's junk. However, I have been influenced by him and that old van. We have a lot of fun memories in that van. It's actually somewhat hard to get rid of it. Now, where am I going with all that? Right now, the vehicle is still sitting there at home. I have spent some money on that thing over the last... I keep spending a little bit more money on it. I think now I'm going to get some more mileage out of this thing before it goes to the junkyard because I spend this amount of money on it. Currently, it's sitting there on my driveway, leaning to the left side because the front spring... Is broke, but it still runs. Now, there's quite a bit wrong with it. The, the, the rear heat doesn't blow any heat. The front heat will blow heat if it's on AC because the air conditioner doesn't work. If the slider is at the exact right place on AC, I can get it to blow some heat, but the defroster doesn't work. So I have a little, uh, a little uh, a cigarette lighter thing that I plug in that blows defroster on it, and it works. It runs on seven cylinders. I'm not quite sure what's wrong with the one. It also, it's a spark plug where it's the uh, hmm, distributor cap. I'm not sure. However, that is the vehicle. And there's a lot of other things I could talk about with that vehicle. And, you know, why am I bringing the subject up of that vehicle? You know, the thing is kind of a, a little bit of the thorn in the flesh. for It takes a lot of maintenance to keep that thing going. It, it You know, it... it In fact, the other other week, the radiator hose broke, and I I set a date. I said, either this date, that thing, we're going to fix that radiator hose, or we're going to drive it off to the junkyard. Well, Joshua went over to Paul B's and got a little insert, cut the hose in half, and slid it together, and the thing's running fine again on seven cylinders. But what I'm really getting at is a vehicle like that takes a lot of maintenance, and sometimes it gets frustrating because we're fixing, and we're fixing, and then we get the thing going again. Now, you know, in our church experience, in our spiritual journey, you know, sometimes we're having encouraging times of revival. Uh, maybe we think back to our conversion when everything was good, we were converted and, and, and things were going good. You know, I even thought about last night. Last night, uh, there was, I think, uh, a few souls got born again. And, you know, I'm likening that to, you know, sometimes we have those church experiences where everything are going good. And then we have other times where church life in all reality really is hard work. A little bit what I'm likening that old van to. It's hard work in a sense to keep that thing going. And it can be a frustration. And that's where I'm really going with this whole thing of what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes in church life, you know, it's hard work. It's a little bit like, and I understand last Sunday you had a message on discipleship, I believe I heard a little bit about. And you know, the further I go in my Christian life, and more experience I have, you know, I, I still get very excited when I hear souls get born again. I mean, that is just, that is a thrill. You know, last night we heard a beautiful, simple gospel message. And it was beautiful. And there was some response. And you know, that's beautiful. That's such a blessing when a soul makes a choice to follow Christ. And in all reality, it's a simple choice to follow Christ. But you know what gets me going more than somebody that's willing to step out of their seat and go front to the altar and yield their life to Christ? What gets me going more and is more, I shouldn't say more impressive. You know, the gospel of the Lord Jesus is something totally impressive, how God can take a person and make him a brand new man and all those kind of things. But, you know, the reality of it really is where a soul is willing to to roll up his sleeves and go the way of the cross and follow Christ and go through hard times, go through difficult times. And, you know, in all reality, sometimes that's what local church life is like, is it not? It isn't all peaches and cream, you know? And I guess this morning, part of what I'm trying to lift up here is the, that, that we would, we as a congregation would be willing to, to, by the sweat of our brow, do the things that need to be done so that we can have a solid, stable church experience. And sometimes, you know, it just doesn't seem very spiritual when we're going through the difficult, hard times of church life and, you know, misunderstandings come up and all those kind of things and we have to work through some of the details of some of those hard things. Sometimes can be difficult. Another thing that I thought of when we think of this whole subject is, uh, and I know I have referred to it, I'm not sure if I did two weeks ago in the message if I referred to it or not, but there's a book that I really highly recommend you read. And I'm not a big reader, so I don't refer you to a lot of books. I ought to be a better reader than what I am, but it is Gary Miller's book, on the going to your gone, and it's in that book, he gives the statistics of business. Now I know we have to be a little bit careful when we relate our business life and spiritual life all together. However, he gave, he gives statistics on business. He says, and I don't remember his, his, all his numbers, but, uh, he said, I forget what percentage of, what percentage of businesses survive into the second generation. It, it goes down quite a bit. The amount of businesses that actually will survive from the first you know, the founder to the second generation, it's, it, 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 it goes down quite a bit. But the amount of businesses that actually survive from the founder to the third generation is low. Has anybody read that book and know what that statistic is? Is it 17% or 11%? It's somewhere in the teens of the, of the amount of businesses that actually survive into the third generation. And the reason for that is oftentimes the, 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 the person that, that is the founder of this business, by the sweat of his brow, he puts time, he puts energy, he puts vision, he puts sweat, toil, and labor into making that business what it is. And many times they're the business that thri- businesses that thrive. So it comes to the second generation, often that business gets transferred down to to his children, and you know, he didn't have to fight for it, he didn't have to work for it, he didn't necessarily have to labor so hard for it, so he's not putting the amount of intense effort and interest into this business as that is what his father did, because you see, a good deal of it was handed down to him, and it doesn't take the by the sweat of the brow, and the hard labor, and all those kind of things, it's just kind of handed in his lap, and he goes on to describe how that business owner, many times those business owners, they would rather be, you know, just kind of, enjoying all the revenue that this business is creating and, and, and becoming more lax and not putting the effort into it. By the time it comes to the third generation, he goes on to explain how that owner, this got handed to him, to him, and his interests many times get focused off of the, the business. He doesn't, have, he doesn't see the value and all those kind of things because it was handed to him. And, and a very small percentage of those businesses will actually survive. It's a very, very staggering number. Now why do I bring that up here? You know, even though that is business strategy and church life and all those kind of things isn't necessarily business, you know, it's it just isn't. Yet what I'm really trying to do is get us to va- to recognize the value and us to have the kind of appreciation for local body, local church life that we ought to have put it in its rightful place that we are willing to go through the difficult experiences that we may have to go through, whatever that is. And even in our spiritual life and our spiritual journey, you know, to be willing to go the way of the cross in church life and work through misunderstandings, work through difficulties, and all those kind of things so that we can have the stable church life experience that God wants us to have. And I believe we will only have that if we have somewhat of that 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 uh, the momentum that somebody has, like the founder of that business, to make it happen, that we can put the same amount of intensity and willingness and hard work and labor and all those kind of things into local church life. You know, I believe somebody that is in business, and, and, and even though what I do, I don't think of it as much, but those of you that are in business understand the competitors that you have. And the goal is, I guess that's how it is. Some of you can say is to outdo your competitor. If you want to have a business that thrives, you have to outdo your competitor. And, you know, in all reality, we, the church of Jesus Christ, we do have a competitor. We have an opponent. Opponent. He is the enemy of our soul. And I really believe the only way a local church will thrive if we're willing by the sweat of the brow to wrestle and to war and not be like the, the, uh, the, uh, the businessman that just has everything handed to him and, and he doesn't have to put the hard work and the struggle into it to make it thrive. We have a enemy. We have a competitor and it's going to take a lot of work. And I believe out of that we can have a strong church life and experience. You know, I really believe I was going to say this in the beginning, but I really believe that we the Church of Jesus Christ, I believe as we go ahead into the future, I believe that we will, I believe that that persecution will intensify. I really believe, I don't know what all God has in store for the church, but I know for myself when persecution does come to this country, I want to be part of a solid, stable local church life do you you know that is so so needful and you know i think and and i'm not saying this as a rebuke or necessarily a challenge to us here at oasis but i hope in the days and years to come that we truly can be an oasis for ourselves for our family and for our children especially as difficult time comes and i believe more difficult times will come And I don't want to say that to give us fear or anything like that, but to just give us a heart that yearns to be part of and to be a contributor to this local fellowship that when those kinds of difficulties actually do come our way that we can be that the church can be the haven for us and for our children. The reality is we will get, I believe, what we're willing to work for or struggle for. Now there is something that I, I, I I'm not saying this to disagree with Brother Danny Keniston and we know Denny Danny fought his fight he ran his race and he's gone but you know there's one thing that brother Danny said numerous times that always stuck with me and you know I still actually agree with him to a degree and he and I really do he often said this that he said you know there's areas where he really encouraged parents to fight and wrestle for and then their children wouldn't have to struggle for that you know he talked about he talked about parents you know and 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 i know what he was referring to he was referring to of course various situations where possibly you have a family coming out of the world and they're wrestling they're fighting and they're battling against things that that is the will of god you know um i'm not even i'm not sure an example of what it could be but you know but whether it's non-resistance, uh, some of those things that we believe and we embrace, you know, the necessity to wrestle and fight for it. And then our children will come on bef- behind and we already fought that battle for them. That was, that, was, that was oftentimes the thrust of Danny. And I still believe that. And I believe that is a truth. But, you know, the reality of it is, There's no place to rest and relax in the Christian life. You know, I think we have all observed enough things that we know that, you know, we can hand to our children a goodly heritage and praise God for it. And I thank God for the heritage that I have. But I believe we're only going to maintain that heritage if we're willing to wrestle and fight and struggle for it. And maybe I'm referring a little bit more to this side of the room and we think of us dads and us dads being leaders and our, and, and, and our young families coming on. You know, we're only going to maintain the, the kind of church outcome that we want to have if we're willing to fight and wrestle. You know, this whole idea of just having it handed to us and now we're going to have an easy street, I don't believe is going to be our experience. I believe we're going to have what we're willing to fight and wrestle for and just to think of a few scriptures along that line Ephesians 6:12 says for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places You know I believe we all need sometimes some physical and sometimes some emotional rest where we separate ourselves as my wife and I did last weekend but you know I don't believe we can ever come to a place where we just rest spiritually because we have an opponent we really do and i believe we need to be on our toes you know jesus went off to rest sometimes but often he went off into the mountains and he was there alone with god i don't believe there's a time where we can come to you know there is a time where the the christian life we do rest we just we we just rest in the promises of god and all those kind of things it's not like we're always we're trying to earn our salvation i'm not talking about that you know salvation is a gift it's all of those kind of things but, you know, God have mercy on us if we get to a place where we can just somehow think we can relax and breeze through the Christian life. We're very given to influence people. I believe we're going to have what we're willing to wrestle for. Another scripture uh, where Matthew eleven twelve reads, And for the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. But the violent take it by force. Again, it gives the idea of something that we press into, something that we wrestle Something that we struggle for. Jude chapter 3 reads, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, I enjoy word studies. Uh, the earnestly contend for the faith. That Greek word, I think, is only used there. I don't think it's used anywhere else, but it means to struggle. It means to struggle for It means to wrestle for. It means to fight for. And I believe that is going to be part of our experience. If we're going to want to have the outcome that we have, we're going to have to struggle for it. We're going to have to wrestle for it. If we want to maintain it. If we're willing to struggle. You know... And I don't remember if I talked about this. That's one of the things that gets a little risky and you'll have to bear with me when I'm up front here. Sometimes I get off sidetracked a little bit and I forget what I share or don't share. Whether I said this last time or not, I'm not quite sure. But I do believe that our culture offers us many luxuries that actually work against our Christian values as it relates to cross-bearing. And that's actually why I said it does us good to come to a cold church building. You know, I had to think this morning, most of us probably woke up And our thermometers in our homes were probably somewhere around 70 degrees. Probably none of us woke up to a cold house. Probably most of us came to church this morning in a vehicle that some of us even were able to set that thermometer right at 70 degrees. And we didn't go far down the road. Maybe we even started the vehicle before that so we had a warm vehicle to ride in. You know, it's comfort. It's comfort. And we come to church in a warm vehicle. Most of us are very accustomed to delicious meals. That's been our experience. And we, and it's a blessing from God that we experience what we do. Delicious food. We sleep in comfortable beds. In fact, you can even get a mattress now that you can have adjusted one side for, uh, for me and my wife could have it adjusted another way for her. We don't have one of them. But we do have a very comfortable mattress. We, we enjoy that. We, it's a comfort that we have and we experience. By the way, I think I feel a whole lot better since I got a new mattress. Our, our one was bad for a long time. However, we like comfortable beds. We like comfort. We like warm clothing. We can put warm clothing on. Uh, we can have a coffee pot that we set at a certain thing in the morning, and when we wake up in the morning, we smell the coffee. We don't have any of them neither. But I know you can get them at Walmart for probably about the same price as another one, or if we have one, I don't know how to use it. Uh, you know, I talked about word searches. Yesterday I was down in the basement and I was studying a bit and uh, my wife was resting upstairs and I had my laptop over there plugged in charging and I wanted to do a word study, uh, a word, and I, I figured, well, I didn't use that strong concordance over there in the bookshelf for years. I went over and, boy, that's that's quite challenging to find up, find up, finally find your word and read what it means. We're used to sitting there and pushing a few buttons and, boom, there we have it. And I think those are things that we can use to the glory of God. I really believe that. Now, why am I saying all that? We become accustomed to our luxuries, where we just—it we, we, it actually, you know—it actually, it, it wears on us. But you know, the Christian life really is a cross-bearing life. Discipleship is a going the way of the cross. God help us. Let's look at Ephesians four a little bit. If you turn to Ephesians four, as we think of local church life. And here again, I'm just trying to put it in our hearts for us to be at a place. You know, we're still, and I don't know if I said this two weeks ago or not, but we're still a young congregation. We are, uh, what are we, about a year and a half old now, I believe. and, And, you know, we went through a few things. But, you know, it is very typical and it's very normal in church life to have some bumps. In fact, you know, I talked about church maintenance being hard work. You know, I remember in my early years in my Christian life, I really wouldn't trade. I had early, early, my early years in in my Christian life. I I did a good bit of of going along to prison crusades and those kind of things. And I, I look back on those times with a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation. And I enjoyed that. And we ought to have more of those kind of experiences. But, you know, in all reality, and some of you young people are probably there. In all reality, in those early years... I would, I would go to some of those prison crusades and I would come back saying, oh, if only I could take all my church there. If only I could take my church. This is the church. This is what the church ought to be like. This is where everybody is just so passionate for Christ. I mean, there's one thing flowing through our minds when we're there and that's the salvation of souls. And you go into prison and you, you observe and you see souls get converted and you just, Uh, And I wouldn't trade it. Warren Note came back a brand new man. Kenny Note got born again over those times. And you know, somehow you get the idea that this is the way it ought to be. And you know what? In fact, last night my son got to lead a soul to Christ. What a blessing. And we get the idea that this is the way it ought to be. If only the church back here would wake up. You know, I actually had that mentality for a while. And it could have actually destroyed me. It could have actually destroyed me. But, you know, the the getting down to the nitty gritties of building church life, understanding each other, going the way of the cross. What is the What does the word say? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Is that right? Strive to enter in. I don't know what strive means in the Greek, but it it means something to do with struggling, you know. And I really believe that a church that's going to stay on the narrow way is going to have a lot of battles to fight. I really believe that, and you know, when I was experiencing some of those things in my early Christian life, I used to sometimes with a negative attitude towards my church, which wasn't part of the charity. But but you know, I used to I used to struggle sometimes, thinking, oh, if only the church could wake up and realize what what the Christian life is really all about. Well, I believe, and all those things are very necessary in the Christian life, and I really believe they're a blessing, and I believe we ought to have more of them. However, in all reality, the real Another aspect of real church life is when we struggle and we wrestle to go the direction the local church ought to go. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, where I told you to go, uh, I'm going to read starting at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Now, edifying here means building up. It means like architecture, the building up of the body. Till we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speak the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. For whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So there, that scripture talks about the building up of the church of God, the edifying of the church of God. And I believe, you know, it talks here about Christ being the head. I believe if Christ is the head, it's it's the body. You know, Christ is the head, and and the head is connected with the body. And as that thing works, all works together in local church life to the building building up of the body and to the as it says here, the edifying of itself in love. God has all those things in place for us today so that the church can be built up and can be edified. I'd like to also now, as I had shared with you about the developing of the gifts and and talking about local church life there out of the confession of faith, that's largely where along the line that I'm thinking here this morning. So let's turn now to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 here, I I ended up uh, in these verses here a good bit and I'd like to just park here for a little bit and consider some of the things that Peter has to say and if we can relate these to church life and there's just a number of things that I'd like to pull out of here that I believe will greatly assist us in our congregation to arrive at the intent and the place where I believe all of us as leaders on this side especially as men want to go in church life. There's some things here in First Peter 5 that I'd like for us to consider this morning as a means to get us where we want to go. Now, we could begin reading at verse 1. talks about elders feeding the flock of God. And then it goes down through uh, verse 2, verse 3, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And, and verse 4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. Then verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another, and clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I'd like for us this morning, as we consider church life and local church life and church life being a success here, to think about this scripture here where it talks about God resisting the proud, but giving grace to the humble. And I'd like to talk about humility as being part of a posture that I believe is very much needed for the success of local church life. You know, we talk sometimes about having good posture. You know, I tend to be one that I sit on a chair and I tend to slouch down pretty far and make myself comfortable. Uh, and, And sometimes my mom used to tell me I'm supposed to sit up like I'm supposed to. That's not a good posture. Well, I believe that humility is a very much needed, it's a very key ingredient to the success of church life. I really believe it is. And you know, the longer and farther I go in church life, especially being part of a leadership team, I realize more and more how much I don't have figured out. And you know, the farther I go down this road, the more I want the latter part of this verse to be a motto for my life. I'm not saying I've attained to it because if I would, then obviously I would not be coming out to the end where I want to. So I certainly haven't attained to it. But you know, this verse is a very important, vital truth that I think all of us need to really get a hold of. And that is, He resists the proud. God actually stands against and resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You know, grace, the divine influence upon the heart is the very key needed essential for church life today. It's grace. It's grace. And if I understand this scripture correctly, that's the access that we have to the grace of God is humility. You know, sometimes it's a matter of us stepping back and realizing we don't have the answers together. We don't have it figured out. And then we have access to God's grace. I believe grace is a key ingredient that we need for the survival of the church. And therefore, humility is the way we access that. And recognize this morning that God actually resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I would like for us this morning to consider that as a very key ingredient that we need in our lives is humility. Humility. Talks here about being subject one for another, one to another. I'd like to also talk a little bit about yielding and about submission. It talks here about the younger submitting to the elder. You know, there's numerous places we can go with that. I don't think it might be referring to the elder here, as in the elder, but I believe it's it refers to the younger. If I'm looking at this right, You all know, you be subject one to another. Submit yourselves to the elder. Okay, ye younger, that's how it reads it. Ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. You know, I'd really like to encourage us this morning. There's so much, like I said, that I don't have figured out. But we look up to those that are older. The younger here are called to submit to the elder. You know, submitting sometimes, yielding can be a difficult thing. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning, especially and you know here it refers here to the elder, but I'd like to just narrow this down as we think of the success of church life, to think of the 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 need for the younger to submit to the older. And I know sometimes for you youth, it's hard to submit to dads. I realize that i I, I was at that place and I understand those those things. but you know, I'd like for us just to lift it up in our minds this morning. The whole idea of submitting, the principle here of the younger submitting to the older. And I'd like for us this morning, as we think about church life, I'd just like to give some encouragement, especially on this side of the room, as we think of dads and boys. You know, I think it's good for us as dads just to have some encouragement in our hearts and our lives this morning to, to know our sons and our sons to know us. It is a very, very key, essential ingredient, I believe, to the success of the church. I believe that dads and sons have a good relationship to where the son can actually love and respect dad. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning. You know, I'd like to even ask the question, Dads, do we know what our boys are facing? Do we know our sons good enough to know what we're facing? And by me saying that, I'm not saying that I always know what my sons are facing. I don't. I can grow in that area myself. But as we think of, of church life and the necessity of stable church life experience, I think it's very important that dads and sons have a good relationship. And sons learn to respect their dads. You know, I wouldn't doubt there's some sons in the room here this morning that are struggling with their dad. And maybe sometimes we dads are at fault. We don't always do everything right. But I really believe if we want the grace of God in our lives and we want the blessing of God in local church fellowship, it's needful for sons and dads to have a good relationship and the sons actually get to a place where they value dad. You know, it really blesses my soul. As a dad, I know I don't always do everything right. And I know I don't deserve respect. But when sons respect their dads... It's it's an amazing thing, and I believe it's very very needed. And I'd just like to give some encouragement that way. You know, one of the one of the verses that was really a motivation to me early in life, even before I had sons that were old enough to, you know, just little children, was there in in Malachi. The uh, I thought I could quote it, but you know, I believe it is a very key, and I believe it's very essential. In our day, it says, He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning. And also, I believe it goes more than just our sons. I believe it's also our daughters. I think we ought to know what's going on in the lives of our children. And I think it's something we really ought to be praying for in our congregation here, that we can have that kind of a relationship. And it doesn't only talk about being... Uh, submitting ourselves to the elder or to the older, and then it goes on to say, yeah, all of you be subject one to another. And you know, in all reality, that's real church life. When we have respect, we have understanding, we have that kind of thing going on in brotherhood life, is very, very important. And I think it's essential. I'd like to also just give a little bit of encouragement this morning. I know some of you young men are leaders. I know some of you young men are leaders. And I believe all men. I believe all young men that have a desire at some point, whether you are whether you have a desire at some point to get married or not. But I believe when a young man begins pursuing a wife, it is very, very important that he realizes he must be a leader. However, I also believe that some of you among young men are gifted as a leader. You have leadership abilities. And you know, I also know that there's young men that have leadership abilities and are leaders, but at some point they give up and get frustrated and lose out. I would just encourage you young men that are born leaders, that you're leaders, that you be under subjection. You be under, you be submitting to the elder, and I believe God will make you a tremendous leader someday. And I'd just like to give that as encouragement, especially to young men, to learn to be under, to learn to be subject to those that are older. Submitting. Very key, essential for healthy church life. And the whole idea of being subject one to another. There's another thing I like to look at here, okay, verse six, I believe I might have read it. It says, Humble your no I didn't. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'd like to park there in verse seven just a little bit. You know, as we as we think of local church life and we think of the future, we think of the challenging time we live in. You know, sometimes and I don't know why I'm thinking more to this side of the room when I think of this, you know, sometimes we 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 we, we look into the future. You know, I, I spoke last time about the uh, as we see the day approaching. You know, as we see the day approaching and I referred earlier to persecution, some of those things sometimes can kind of grip us with a certain amount of fear. And we think of the cruel world, we think of the the tremendous decline in morality and those kind of things that happen in the world, sometimes it can strike a certain amount of fear when we think of raising a family in the generation and the day that, that we do. And you know, I believe a real key ingredient that will help us through that is when we have a solid, unshakable faith and we know how to cast our care on the Lord because as the promise says here, He careth for you. You know, I believe despite difficult, challenging days that may face the church in the future, I believe God will always be a personal God. And I believe He will always make a way for His children. And I'd just like to give us that encouragement this morning. You know, Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that He Himself suffered being tempted, He is able also to succor them that are tempted. I'd just like to give us that encouragement. All right, let's look at uh, 8 and 9 yet. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking, whom, he, seeking whom, he, whom hate he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We have an adversary already referred to that. We have an adversary... Uh, Here it talks about being sober and being vigilant. Being sober and being vigilant. I was thinking I had that definition of vigilant wrote down here somewhere. I'm not sure. And I had referred to it earlier. I don't know that I need to focus a lot of attention on it here. But, you know, I believe in the day and generation that we live in, I believe it takes a lot of vigilance as we as fathers, as leaders on this side of the room. I really believe that, and I believe as we proceed more into with the developing of technology, we can't stay ahead of it. We need to be vigilant. I understand possibly in the message last Sunday, uh talked about some practical things, and, and it actually brought the whole subject up in a discussion I had this week when, as it relates to movies. You know, I would not have known how to relate to it in my youth. In my youth, if I would have walked around with a cell phone that I could get all kinds of right movies right into my phone, I would not have known how to relate to it. I really wouldn't have. But this is the generation that we live in, and I believe it requires a tremendous amount of vigilance as we as men, as leaders, how are we going to sort through those things? You know, some of those things some youth can handle. Some, some can't. And I think we need to have a certain amount of, a a, a tremendous amount of soberness and vigilance as these kind of things bombard us. And face the church. And you know, as part of a leadership team, sometimes we pick the pieces up of tragic situations because of that little thing that some of us carry in our, po- in our pockets. And I believe we as parents need to be vigilant. I believe we need to be on our toes in a tremendous way. And again, if I can go back to what I was encouraging with us earlier, I think it's so very essential and important for us as dads to know what's going on in the hearts of our young people. I think it is. And I think it's so very essential for young people to have their hearts open to their dads. You know, I I really believe in the day that we live in and in the coming days, it's a tragedy to have men that are sleeping. We're trying to raise our family. I think it's a tragedy if we have men that are sleeping. I think we need to be vigilant and I think we need to be on our toes. And like I encourage my children sometimes and I'd like to encourage all of us here as young people there's probably going to be some times where your dad just seems old-fashioned. And you're probably going to be times that you are going to feel like your dad just doesn't understand. And I want to be totally honest with you, and I tell my children, I don't always do everything right. I make a lot of mistakes. Sometimes I maybe become a little bit rigid with some things. But I also believe it is so very important. And I believe, you know, we talked about grace And our need for grace. And and grace is like the glory spout. It's like that divine influence. And I really believe, young man and young lady, all of us together, I really believe we'll be blessed when we're willing to be yielded, when we're willing to be surrendered, and we're willing to go the way of the cross, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand. And there are going to be times you probably don't understand. There's probably going to be times where dads are going to maybe overemphasize things. But I believe the blessing will be on your life if you're willing to be in submission to those kind of things. You know, one of the things that as I was considering all this, you know, the early years of charity, we put a lot of emphasis on men in the home being leaders. We really did. You know, there was a time in my experience... Back a number of years in our early years where we as men, I'm not talking about leaders of churches, but we as men would look forward to the leadership temp seminar with great anticipation because we as men could set our some time aside and we could learn to be better leaders in our home. And I'm not trying to indicate that that is the way we need to go. We need to have these big meetings and those kind of things. But I wonder sometimes if it's a little bit of a thermometer As to where we're actually at. Are we as men. Earnestly desiring some of those leadership abilities. To guide our families in the way that we need to go. And I personally am of the persuasion. That in order for us to have the. Solid church life experience that we need to have. We need men that are willing to be leaders. To stand up and be be leaders. And to avoid some of the dangers. And some of the pitfalls that have the potential of coming our way. God made a tremendous investment in our lives to be the called out, to be the church. I see I'm again having the same problem I usually have. I'm not sure what to cut out and what not to. Uh, you'll have to bear with me. I, uh, I don't know if I should tell stories or not when I'm not getting through so as it is, but I have... Uh, I've been influenced by a young man many years ago, a good friend of mine many years ago, when he told me that that he was helping some young fellow to stand up front. That was going to share. I don't know if it was a Sunday school lesson or something, and he was trying to encourage him to to do it, and he didn't want to do it. And he said, "You just, you just, uh, you'll do okay." He said, "If you run out of things to say, he said, I'll come up and take over for you." And uh, he got a little ways into it, and it got all. And by the time my friend Kevin could get up to take over, he fell over and fainted. And I guess I've always had that fear. Now you really know me, don't you? Anyhow, I'd just like to encourage us this morning. God made a tremendous investment into our lives when he called us out of the world. Let's look yet at uh, Matthew 25. My mind went to this passage of Scripture. Actually, I guess the reason my mind went to this passage of Scripture is that's actually where the uh, Confession of Faith refers us to when it talks about developing talents and gifts. Actually, it calls it gifts in our Confession of Faith. Developing gifts in uh, local church life. You know, as I shared... Uh, the church is a, you know, when, when, when I believe Christ is the head of the church, it talks there in Ephesians about the church edifying itself in love. You know, I believe the church, the church is the body of Christ will edify itself when Christ is at his rightful place and the church can be edified. Now, as we look at Matthew 14 here, I'd just like to refer a little bit and be thinking about, you know, God chose us. And I talked about that two weeks ago. I know I did. But God made a tremendous investment in us when He chose us and He called us out of the world. And Matthew 25 here talks about talents, which my understanding here is simply the word and its literal meaning simply means money, which is like an investment. God actually invested in us. Let's just read this beginning of verse 14, Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man And I'm, I'm thinking, of course, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about church life, okay? I'm thinking about us being the called out. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants, and delivered unto them his goods, and gave unto one, and unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he which had received 5 talents went, and traded with the same, and made other 5 talents. And likewise, he that had received 2, he gained other 2. And he that received 1 went, and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them. And so he that received 5 talents came, and brought other 5 talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me 5 talents. Behold, I have gained beside them 5 talents. His Lord said unto him, Well done, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee over many, ruler over many. Enter in to enter over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained other two talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put thy money to, put the, put my money to the exchangers and when And then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which had ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. And from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I'd like, as we consider this passage, as I said, to think about God making an investment, made an investment, in us, when he actually committed the church into the care of his people, he made a tremendous, tremendous investment in us. And I'd like for all of us to be encouraged this morning that we are all contributors into the investment of what he made. And I believe we all have gifts. I believe we have all, all have talents that we can, can contribute to the health and the well-being of local church life. You know, I believe as we look at this whole thing, he relates it as the kingdom of heaven. As we understand this scripture, it's referring to God. You know, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, here to earth. He came from a far country and purchased his own, his servants, and made an investment to us. A tremendous amount of time has transpired here. And we know that he's going to come back, and there will be a day of reckoning. And then we understand the story here. We have the one that had five talents and the one that had two talents got busy and put it to work, and they were active, they were active in the kingdom of God, they were active doing the things of God, and they were. They took the talents, their God-given abilities, and they invested them. And then we also have the account here in verse 18 of the man who did nothing. He, he received his one talent, he went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. And I'd like for all of us just to be encouraged here this morning that we all have talents we all have things to contribute and i I wrestled with this scripture for a long time in my life already wondering why he chose the man out in this story that just had one talent to be the one that did nothing with it and i don't know the answer necessarily to all that other than i believe it's very easy for us to develop the idea and the mentality that i really have little to nothing to offer to the kingdom of god and you know that's not the truth that's not the truth. I believe we all have something to contribute to the health and to well-being of the church. And you know, it's a bit sobering when we realize there will, become, there will come a day of reckoning where each one of us will give an account for what we did with the ability and the talents that God gave us. It gives us a little bit of a sobriety, and I think it's good for us to settle over our, our hearts. What are we actually doing in our hearts as far as contributing to the kingdom of God? I believe the man that had one talent, I believe, simply didn't understand his master. He was an unfaithful servant. He was not faithful, and I believe he had a total wrong concept of who God was. It says in verse 24, he he thought he was a hard man. Just skipping over a number of things. But I'd like to just give us some encouragement here this morning that we could recognize the value and the blessing of what I can contribute to the kingdom. What I can contribute to local church life. So what does local church life mean to us? What does fellowship life mean to us? I would just really like to give us some encouragement. Now I'm, 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 I'm starting off here a little bit where I left off last Sunday as we think, you know, I talked about the necessity of communication. I talked, I think, a little bit about this necessity of, of getting to know each other better and those kind of things. We, I talked a little bit about family and the idea of family closeness. And I would just like to encourage us along that line as it relates to getting to know each other, Uh, family closeness, the the what can I give mindset. You know, I think it's a a blessing and I think it's very healthy. And I'd just like to give some encouragement that we interact with each other, getting in each other's homes and those kind of things as we think of the closeness and the need for fellowship life. And these, uh, as as I just uh, try to wind down and go over these things fairly briefly here, you know, as I'm... Thinking about these number of practical things here, I'm, 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 I am I'm guess some of these are just out of my own experience in church life and some of the things that I experience uh, in my own life as we think of church life. Uh, one of the things that I thought when I think of the health of local church life that I, I thought would be good just to look at a little bit That I think will be a big contributing factor that will contribute to the health and well-being of local church life. And that's avoiding critical attitudes. And some of you may say, well, why do I say that? Why would I make that a subject that we need to focus on? I believe, and my experience has been an observation in church life, that sometimes critical attitudes can actually destroy church life. I believe that. And also the reason why I would make that one a point is because I know in my own past experience some of the critical attitudes of my own heart that I had to deal with. That I know critical attitudes can be a problem as it relates to church life. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning as we think of the health and well-being of church life. Let's learn to deal with critical attitudes. And my goal this morning is in this whole subject of church life that we can we can somehow boost our morale to where we value the brotherhood, we value local church life, to the point that we will be willing to deal with those needed areas in our hearts so that we can have a successful, good, encouraging church life experience. As I shared, you know, critical attitudes can destroy the one that's held in its grip. And it can destroy church life. You know, I'd like for us to think this morning... Satan, one of his names, is actually an accuser of the brethren. And critical attitudes sometimes can fester in a church life, and I think we can play right into the hands of the devil if we're not careful. And it can destroy church. And some of you have had more difficult church life experiences than I do that would probably have some testimonies and some things of how that can actually happen. And the devil is the wrecker of churches. And I'd like to just give us some encouragement this morning if we're dealing with those kind of things that I... And I like to encourage my children this way, that a Christ-like response to a difficulty is always right. And what is a Christ-like response? Though He was oppressed, He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb before the slaughter, as a sheep before the shears is dumb. So He opened not His mouth." mouth. Uh in James uh, Matthew 27:14, and that's where Christ, I believe, was brought before the governor and said, and he answered him never a word, and so much the governor marveled greatly. You know, sometimes when we're struggling with something, we're better off keeping quiet if we have a critical attitude, and that's what Jesus did. James 3, 2 tells us in many ways, this is NIV, we all stumble. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to keep his whole body in check. It says here in many ways we all stumble. And you know, in all reality in church life, there's not one of us that are perfect. In many ways, we all stumble and we all have faults. And sometimes, if we're not careful, critical attitudes can actually enter in there and be a big problem. There's an Indian proverb that reads this. It says, There are two wolves inside of every person. The one is full of evil, wanting to kill, destroy, anything it can. The other is full of love, wanting to look after the weak and care for the less fortunate. The one you feed is the one that grows. The one you feed is the one that grows. What are we feeding this morning? The power of love and relationships. I was going to read something there. I think I'll just skip over that. You know, love is such a critical, important necessity in church life. It really is. Uh, Maybe I'll just refer to this one yet. One of the things that I'd just like to give us some encouragement here this morning yet is the area as we think of local church life is at first when I wrote this point down, I wrote avoiding clicks, and then I went and crossed that out, and I wrote be careful with clicks because when we think of clicks, we think of just kind of a cluster. I'm thinking about good, healthy church life experience. And you know, we all enjoy close friendships, whether we call it a close friendship or we call it a click. But I believe it's very important in local church life that we interact with each other, not just those we're most comfortable with. So I think that's something that we ought to uh, be careful with and I'd like to give us some encouragement with this morning. Local church life. Well, I'm going to have to draw this to a close here. Um, It's a little bit difficult to do when you're skipping over things. I guess I'll just uh, leave it with that there. I would like for us this morning just to have our hearts encouraged as we think of some of the challenges that local church life sometimes deals that we can, we can have our, our outlook and our appreciation, I guess would be the word that we could call it, that when difficult, challenging times come and even sometimes when we have to work through things that we as a congregation Maybe in our personal life we render them as maybe seemingly even a bit unspiritual. That we're willing to recognize the necessity and the blessing of working through those kind of things in order for us to have the kind of church experience that God would desire us to have. Why don't we bow our heads to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love to each one of us. Lord, I thank you this morning for the blessing and the privilege it is for me to be part of this fellowship. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and for what you have done that we can be the called out. Father, it's because of you, the head, you coming from heaven to earth to purchase our redemption that we can experience all the blessings that you have intended for us to experience as it relates to the family of God and father we recognize that the day that we live in we are faced with many and much challenges and we father we also are sobered with the reality and recognition that Satan is the wrecker of many many churches and father there has been many tragedies but we also realize that you're a good God and that you have made a way for us and I thank you father for each of the brothers and sisters that make up this fellowship. And for the blessed experience that we've had for a year and a half now meeting together. And Father, we pray for many more. Father, we pray this morning specifically for the leaders and the heads of homes. That, Father, we could take our rightful place in our homes and be the leaders that you intend us to be. Father, as we raise other leaders, as we raise our young men especially, Father, I pray that you would just be with the young men in this congregation. And Father, young people sometimes that struggle trying to find their way through life. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us in this congregation to raise up a generation of young men that would rise to the challenge and be leaders. That when you return, there would be faith on the earth. And Lord, that this congregation could be a faithful congregation. Father, we pray that you would just uh, bless all of us together. Help us, Lord, as we cast our care upon you, realizing your care for us. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless each one uh, that's here today. Father, we look to you and commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.